going on, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you this evening. And this is going to be fun because it's Wednesday night. So that means it's a Wednesday night draft. And so what we're going to do in this first segment and what we're going to follow up with in the second segment is pretty much the inspiration brought to us by Mike Adams. It's our first piece of Texans news that we've we had in a while, I guess, probably since the combine. And they're the, the official news. Now, there's some other news that's out there that I've seen floating around and I really want to be true about long snapper John Weeks, but we'll wait for that to be a thousand percent true before we break into that one. But what was made a hundred percent lock it in, not changing happened on good morning football this morning as Mike Adams, who played here his final year for the Texans, called it quits. As he said, time to hang him up 16 year career out of Delaware played for Sam Houston state head coach, Casey Keeler, when Casey was up with Delaware, they won a championship and I believe it was Mike's last year there in 2003. He was one heck of a player in the league, played for the Panthers, played for the Browns, played for the Colts, and that's where we saw him twice a year. And I love the fact that we had an opportunity for one year to be able to catch up with Mike Adams. It was really fun. Now, that news came on Wednesday morning, but Drew Doherty and I typically record in the lab on Tuesday. And are in the lab every now and again, we kind of go on the Wayback Machine. And I figured, yeah, you know what, why not start with that tonight? We went to Wayback Machine, and we'd like to redraft. We like to take a, a draft that happened and kind of flip it on its ear and look at, in hindsight, of course, what the Texans could have done. And in the 2004 draft, when the Texans drafted Dante Robinson, a very good pick, mind you, well, that whole draft, it was kind of wacky. And the Texans could have gone a lot of different ways. But sitting at pick number 10, well, there was a certain quarterback they could have taken. Now, we don't have time for the entire draft and letting you know what we all had on the show. If you want to hear that, hear the in the, go to the In the Lab podcast, wherever your great podcasts are available. Typically for a lot of you, iTunes, iTunes podcast. And you can hear the full podcast because in that podcast, we actually drafted Mike Adams for the Texans back in 2003. And we eventually got him in 2019. So you want to hear who all we drafted. It's an incredible undrafted list of players. And a few of them ended up making the Pro Bowl, and we ended up drafting them on our team. Now, the Texans, you think the Texans draft picks and, and draft schedule is weird this year? <laughs> Wait till you hear what it was like in 2004 and see if you agree with our decision to go back and draft a quarterback at number 10 in the 2004 draft. Here is Drew Doherty and myself in the lab going back to the year 2004, and we are repicking for the Houston Texans. Okay. It's going to be a fun time. So 2004. Yep. If you don't remember 2004, that was Eli Manning at the top. Yeah. Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger draft. And for your Texans, well, that was Dante, Dante Robinson. Robinson. Yes. Yeah. So let's read. One of the better first-round draft picks, by the way. 
Yeah, he was a, he was a solid player for the Houston Texans. Did a good job. Played here for about five years, four or five years. Mm-hmm. He was picked tenth overall, and um, you know he he was probably your best corner in mm-hmm. between uh, in between Aaron Glenn and Jonathan Joseph, I'd say, in franchise history. And it's not a long time, really, but that's who I'd go with. So he was your first pick, tenth overall. Didn't pick again until the fourth round, John. Mm-hmm. And wow. he went with uh, went with a guy named. Actually, you picked a, you picked. A, I'm joking there. You went with Jason Babin again in the first. Round. Oh yeah, that's right. So you had two firsts. So and then... technically, you didn't pick till the fourth round. <laughs> well, technically, you did, but in essence, you didn't. I yeah. get what you're saying. So you had a pair of ones, a four. Three sixes oh, and three sevens. I mean, just a weird yeah. top-heavy and bottom-heavy draft and no middle class whatsoever. You had a fourth, and that's it. So we're going to repick. Okay. Now, Texans, like we said, they went with Dante Robinson, had a solid career. He left in 2010 for uh, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the whole brouhaha with him getting franchise tagged in 2009. Yeah. Had pay me Rick on his cleats, which yes. I didn't realize it was on his cleats until after that game. But yeah, that that 2004 draft, the top ten picks, there were seven of the top ten. They wanted to make it a Pro Bowl. It's yeah. pretty good. It's pretty good. So at eleven, you had Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. And there were other pretty good picks in there. So do we want to go with Ben Roethlisberger there at, at the tenth pick instead of Dante Robinson? I think I'm gonna. Because David Carr, we know what David Carr is, but it was tough to make that. It would have been impossible to sell that pick mm-hmm. at the time to go with Ben Roethlisberger when you had a, a third-year quarterback. Yeah, and you had just taken you had just taken David Carr in two thousand two. You, you're giving up on him after two years. It was a new franchise. It just that that probably would have been a wrong, the wrong thing to do. Now. The other aspect with Ben, and I believe he had issues once he got to the league. I don't think he had any issues that I remember at Miami of Ohio that I can remember. But I do know there were questions about him off the field from that perspective, whether it's maturity or whatever the case might be. So I think for two reasons, it probably, even looking back, would not have been a tremendous fit. Right. So I think it would have been tough now. Using hindsight as our guide, you got to go with it. You go with it. I mean, you have to, you have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you set yourself up. Now, when we redrafted in two, now here's the question: redrafting in 2005, knowing how things worked out in you our redraft in 2005, we got Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. At that point, I probably. Hmm, it's an interesting thought here because you could wait. You could you say, "Let's go with Jonathan Vilma." Right. And he's. I mean, he he'll be great for you. And you'd put Vilma. A couple of years later, you'd put Vilma next to D'Amico Ryans. But the question becomes, if you have Vilma, do you feel like you have to go get Ryans because you have Vilma? Uh, I, the thing about Vilma and Ryans, having both would have been tremendous. You would have had captaincy oozing out of your ears mm-hmm. because that was Vilma and Ryans were kind of wired the same way. Yep. Very much the same way and played the game the same way. They were very Leaders, similar man. from that Leaders. perspective. Quarterbacks of the defense. Found the ball, smart, could run. They had all of that. So in 04, my backers are still pretty good. So I think in hindsight, true hindsight, you'd take Ben. And it'd be tough to take Vince Wilfork, who went 21st, because you had two pretty good interior yeah. guys in Gary Walker, Seth Payne. So that would have been a tough sell. Yeah, that would that would have been tough. Now, here's one. And now keep in mind, 2004, you also 
when you look at the players that were drafted, the, the guys that turned into you know pretty good players in this draft, 2004 was not a time in which you turned away from running backs in the first round. We've kind of moved more towards that. Their running backs are just kind of not as valued as they, right. they were. Uh, Steven Jackson was taken at number 20, pick number 24. That's a little bit down the road. But Steven Jackson was a horse. You talk about get on his back and ride. My goodness. He was that kind of back for the St. Louis Rams, not the L.A. Rams. Steven Jackson was an absolute dude. So if you felt like, okay, we can't pull the trigger on Roethlisberger. So but you had Dominic Davis. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other problem. You, you did he had Dominic Davis, too. So that's what makes all this kind of tricky in some sense with the, the players that are on the board at this time because you're pretty good at linebacker. You just drafted a quarterback two years prior, and you really didn't see sort of the, the breakdown yet. Hey, well, he would wind up in 2004. That, the fall, that was his best year. That was his best year. He, they went 7-9. and nine. They had a chance in December to go right. 500. Which means that 2005, probably not taking Aaron Rodgers either. But because we're doing this in true hindsight, we probably take Ben Roethlisberger and and okay. We're All good. right, we'll so we're going ben. with Ben Roethlisberger. We'll get ben, Ben in the beard. Now, now we we're going to stick with the trade. We're going to honor the okay, board we're gonna because honor, we're, we're going to trade up. Okay. And the, the Texans wanted some pass rush help, and they thought mm-hmm. they were getting it out of Western Michigan's Jason Babin. Yeah. Didn't wind out working out. Wind out work. Wind up working out. Right. He had some good years later in his career. Mm-hmm. Tennessee played pretty well there. So, we've moved up. We're not taking Babin. You go with an offensive tackle and Chris Snee, pretty darn good player. Played guard with the Giants, very, very good. Chris, Tom Coughlin's son-in-law, mm-hmm. had a great career. Yep. You could, um, you could do Julius Jones, do some things, uh, running back for the Cowboys yeah, earlier. very good, yeah. But you know what? I want a difference maker, and I want a difference maker at a spot that this franchise has been deficient in for a long, long time, and I think it's only changed until recently. And I saw a guy who, he was kind of like a Comet, played great for a few years, but he sort of burnt out. But you know what? I'm still going to use a second on him. Because the guy wound up becoming a defensive player of the entire league. So give me Bob Sanders out of Iowa. A strong safety. He went 44th overall. He was in the second round to the Colts. So let's weaken a division rival. And let's strengthen our defense. Let's get Bob Sanders. You cool with that? Demond Sanders. I have one of my favorite documentaries of all time is a documentary called the last game and it followed mike Pettin's dad mike Pettin, who's a defense coordinator for the packers and he was a coach at a school called cb west and actually mike Pettin jr was at a school called penn hills uh north penn sorry and they were one and two in the state they were father and son they were one and two in the state and it's just phenomenal documentary and cb west mike Pettin senior's team is going for a 45 and 0 record and in the final in, in the last game championship game they play erie cathedral prep led by Ed Hankel, wide receiver who went to Iowa, and a running back by the name of Damone Sanders, Bob Sanders. And he's phenomenal as a running back. And early in that game, when he's playing safety, he knocks out the star running back for C.B. West. Mm -hmm. And so C.B. West ends up winning the game on a blocked punt with two minutes left in the game. Phenomenal story. But Bob Sanders, I remember watching that, and I'm like, he was tiny. (laughs) I don't think people understand. He was 206 pounds. He was he was short. Now, he was stocky, and he could deliver. Now, time out. He was fearless. Time out. So, he, you just mentioned how small he was. I gave you the dimensions. Mm-hmm. So, you combine that 
with his nicknames, which were the Hitman yep. and the Eraser. Mm-hmm. And that's from Tony Dungy because Bob Sanders tended to erase the mistakes yeah, of his did. teammates. When you combine Hitman with a small stature, you're usually going to be a recipe for a short window of success. Yeah. So he played in in uh he played more than six games in a season only twice, yeah. 05 and 07. But darn it, when he played, man, he was good. There was one other player that I suggested at this particular spot to Drew. Go check out the InLab podcast so you can see. We eventually did settle on Bob Sanders because I was a huge Bob Sanders fan. Huge Bob Sanders fan. Even though didn't stay on the field, but when he was on the field, man, Drew said it. He is, was dynamite. Dynamite. But you got to listen to the whole thing because you got to see all the different pro bowlers we were able to draft for the Texans, including Mike Adams, who's the inspiration for our Wednesday night draft. We will have that for you next. Your favorite non-drafted Texan. We drafted three rounds and talked about this next right here on Texas All Access. It's time for our Wednesday night draft, and I've brought the team around us. I am John Harris. He'd be seated to my left, Drew Dory to my right, and we have reserved an open chair for the absent Mark Vandermeer. So, is he on an audition for something? He might be. Yeah. He might be. I don't know. Stranger Things 4 is coming out. <laughs> he has been He's always wanted to go to Russia. He he's noticeably strange. absent. And what'd you say? He's in Russia? I said he's always wanted to go to Russia. Shh, I People just, haven't seen the trailers yet. We've they all don't seen know. the trailer. <laughs> I'm not even done with season three. And I know, I'm not either. Drew is. Drew's done with season three. We I, are, and I came to the party late on that. I, I'll say this, man. Maybe it's not the best show ever, but dang it. Just about every single episode through those first two seasons, at some point in, in the episode, I would get goosebumps. Yeah. Because yeah. I was watching on the big screen. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't watching on a phone or on a tab. I was watching on my TV at I home. bet. It I, was I good. It was real. I, I really liked it. It's, a, it's an enjoyable show. I, I liked it up until season three. Season three, I haven't been able to finish it. But what I like about it is it, it takes place in the 80s in yeah. Indiana, yeah. which is my jam. Of course. Because the cars, the license plates, the yeah. houses, like it's so, for me especially, it's so you know nostalgic. It's yeah. You know it's shot in Georgia though, right? Well, but they made it look Why'd like. Why'd you go and ruin it, Drew? <laughs> I didn't know that, but I, but it looks. But even the license plate, they had one. It was um, Wander Indiana was the slogan at one uh-huh. point, and I was like, oh, those are the ugly Wander Indiana license plates. No, the, that the were super costuming is yeah, they do an awesome. It's job. brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I, from I, that perspective, we, I didn't look brilliant. that fashionable in the eighties. They make it look eighties attire look. Very I was cool. I was in middle school at that very time, so looking back at some of the clothing and what they were wearing, I'm just. I do the same thing. It's nostalgic. But my daughter had watched the first two seasons. And so I, for some reason, just decided, I thought she'd watched it, wasn't sure. I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to just start it and see what happens. And usually it's my son that will watch a show like that. And I started going through it. I was like, hey, Meg Arner, did you watch this? And she goes, oh, yeah, I'm all the way through all both seasons. I was like, oh, okay, I got to get caught up. And so she would want updates, like, where I was. And there would be times I would just text her out of the blue, like, oh, my God, I can't, I believe, can't this believe this happened. <laughs> this is nuts. Oh, it's, it's, it's a really good show. Now, a guy that who was a, who was a really good player in his career was Mike Adams, a.k.a. Yeah. Pops. He announced his retirement today on Good Morning Football. And we faced Mike. A number of times. I mean, he played for the Colts for a number of years, and we saw him twice a year. 
and he was a he was an excellent player. And I just remember always facing him. Like I just knew he was smart. He was going to make a play against us. Hated playing against playing against him. And then we find out he's coming here to Houston, and he was for a year. He didn't do earth shattering things. He was in his sixteenth year. He didn't do earth shattering things. But a lot of people not paying attention missed the fact that he made some gargantuan plays in that playoff game. He had Bills, to go yeah, in uh, against Buffalo uh, because uh, I think Jaleel was banged up, and they were banged up at the safety position. And yeah, Mike Tashaun, had to go in. Deshaun Gibson was on IR. Yeah, Deshaun Gibson had gone to IR. Yeah. Mike had to come in because they were banged up, and he made a couple of massive plays in that game. And I talked to Mike a few times, and I just really enjoyed his company. I, I would assume that a lot of people in the locker room did. I thought it was such a shame that in Baltimore he was taken out by in, in a workout before the game. Oh, that was, I, was I remember so, that. It was mm. so, I mean, he just got, he just got cranked. I mean, some guy, I think it was Tyus Bowser, was running in one direction. He was running in the other and just nailed him. And it was such a shame that he missed a few games because of that. But it got me thinking about what we could do for our Wednesday night draft. Because over the years, since we've been in the, since we've been in the building, since we've been around, I've been around since 2007. You've been, uh, You've been in the building since 2013. Drew, you've been in since 2009. We've got to know these players. We've gotten to, to see where they come from. And a lot of them are drafted. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, Sean Watson, J.J. Watt, these guys are drafted. Or there have been players that have been signed as undrafted rookies that have stayed in their career. Aaron Foster is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. But there have been plenty of players over the years, like Mike Adams, that have come to the Texans. And they have, whether it's for a year, whether it's for you know, a handful of weeks, uh, whether it's for a few years, whether it's establishing the uh, the longer part of maybe a two-part career, a la one guy that we've seen for the last, what, nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at some point, we've obviously, those those guys have become some of our favorites. So I figured for our Wednesday night draft, let's draft our favorite non-drafted or undrafted rookie Texans. And DP, you're going to start. Well, I have to take Jonathan Joseph. Okay. I have to take him. I knew you would right off the bat. Yeah, because I, I just feel like he's one of the – I mean, he what a difference he's his addition has made since 2011. During the lockout year, yeah. him and Daniel Manning. I mean, I think if the Texans ever, ever had a single greatest day of, of free agent signings, yeah, that's um, that was that it. might be you think it. it's better than the Osweiler-Lamar Miller day? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we did get Lamar Miller out of that. We lost Bergstrom. We lost Osweiler and uh, – There was a th- – um, Jeff – Allen. Allen. Jeff, Allen. Jeff, Allen. Jeff Allen was all right. All right. So it was it wasn't a total fiasco. But yeah. um, I think Jonathan Joseph, for obviously for the reasons on the field, I think he had a lot to do with Kareem Jackson's turnaround in his career. Yeah. Kareem's talked about it m- very much at length. I think you had A.J. Boye coming up, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a scout player. I think Jonathan Joseph has done a lot of things for young wide receivers and the young DBs here. And while he is, what it, I mean, what is this going to be, year 15 for him? I, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to him in the locker room because I think his perspective on the game. I mean, I'm just waiting for the day he retires and just immediately gets an office somewhere as a coach. Hopefully it's here because he just knows so much about the game. And, and I know Cecil Shorts was on with us uh, several months ago during the season, and he told me that after the Texans would play the Jags, J. Joe would go up to him and sort of talk to him about his game and things that he yeah, could do differently. Yeah. What went well and what I yeah. mean, he just loves the game so much, and I think he's just so giving of his uh, of his knowledge and his time. And, and a great interview. Um, he's one of my favorites in the locker room, so I got to yeah. take J. Joe. As uh, the years go by, mm-hmm. and looking back at the 2010 season, before the year before he got here, 
it's remarkable that the Texans were able to win six games with that defense. Now they had a pretty potent offense and they were able to move the ball. But that's one of the that I think for a time until about December, it was the it had been the worst pass defense yeah. since the AFL NFL merger. I mean, they brutal. got shredded and they got shredded by everybody. It didn't matter if it was a good receiver, a, a pro bowler they were going against. They got roasted mm. by guys like Seji Ajiratutu. Like, what? <laughs> yes. I mean, that guy, he had his career day against the Texans. Mm. So Jonathan Joseph, when he came in the next year, he was kind of like the the lead dog, the tip of the spear, and yeah. one of the reasons that defense got so much better. Now, another one was Wade Phillips. He came yeah. in and changed the scheme. Connor Barwin got healthy and had 11 sacks. Uh, some guy got Watt, drafted. J.J. Watt was yeah. solid as a rookie and then yeah. took off in December and January. But Jonathan Joseph, I'm with you. That that's a tremendous choice for what he did on the field, but for all the stuff you mentioned off the field, that, yeah. that was a great. great it's going to be a different locker room when he's not in it anymore, and yeah. I I almost can't even imagine what that's going to be like yeah. without him in that corner locker in the corner of the locker room. And every year we talk about the potential that he may retire, and the Mike Adams news obviously brings it to the forefront. Like, is J. Joe? You know, right. I mean, he's getting up there in years too. But while he's here, I've I've really enjoyed yeah. getting to know. Him. Yeah, he's been he's been he's been fantastic. I mean, somebody you could talk. You talk football with, you can talk about... We talk about our kids. I talk about, about my kids. kids. He always asks, DB, how's the, how are the kids doing? What yeah. are the kids up to? I mean, I, it just, I, I just, you know, he, he's just such a personable guy. Yeah, he really is. All right, Drew, you are up. By the way, we're going to go four rounds, and if you just tuned in, we are selecting our favorite non-drafted or non-undrafted rookie Texan. Didn't start their career with the Houston Texans. Now, was my player the greatest player on the field per se no very far from it came to town i know where you're going i, with I this. feel like i know where he's going I, with I, I this. 2009 I played this a position COVID. that was unheralded and he did a lot of dirty work yep he did so if you listen to wade phillips if you listen to gary kubiak he did so and did so admirably he helped make the team better even though you might not have been able to see it but off the field he was a uh he was an mvp he was Really, really funny, and he did on the nose with Sean Cody. One of my, he's my favorite guy to, to deal with. That's I've, played for this I've team. I've said so myself many, many times. Yeah, yeah. he's he's my choice. Uh, I, I got to put number ninety five up at the top of the list there. I need to get him on a podcast here soon. We need to do a, a Drew's dozen with him because it's been too long since we've heard from Sean Cody. But that's my that's my dude. Nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. He was here with the Texans, and then um, you know Barwin left in free agency that year. Cody just didn't get signed by anybody back had gotten banged up uh as he said his riblets had been broken in a game <laughs> so he he was uh he was done but now he's doing great he's out in la he's you know doing radio for usc yeah. uh his alma mater who people people some people forget this because he was kind of a journeyman he's quote labeled as a journeyman nfl player he was the guy that turned usc around he was the recruit yep. Pete carroll got that really turned USC around because they were flailing and flagging in the late 90s, and Sean was big-time recruit and got yep. a lot of other players. So I'll go with uh, I'll go with Cody. And then shortly after, they got a guy named Reggie Bush and then Matt right. Leiner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, things changed. Yeah. Uh, my, my first pick is going to be someone that he's only here a year, but mine, this one goes a little mm-hmm. bit, this one goes a little bit deeper because he will always be, one of my favorite all-time college players. And he came into the league, obviously, with some hiccups that had happened in his personal life, off the field. And I wondered whether he could could turn it around. And if he could, man, this guy could be a whale of a player. 
And I remember meeting him for the first time when he walked in this room. I just remember thinking, golly, that's a, he's short. Like, that's not a big dude. And yet when he was on the field, he's one of the biggest dudes there was. And I know that maybe for us, he wasn't as, as productive, maybe, I guess, as some people want him to be. But I remember seeing him as a freshman at LSU, and I fell in love with the guy, the way he played the game. And I was just, it was really cool to get to know him. My favorite story about Tyron Matthew was we beat Washington. That was a game that Justin Reed had to pick six. And I just happened to look back to see if there were any flags. And I could see Tyron having this one-man celebration <laughs> down in the end zone opposite where everything was going. And he's just freaking out. He's throwing his helmet. He's so jacked up for Justin that they had made a play. So he had a really good game in our Washington game. So he's our player of the game. And so I get the opportunity to interview him afterwards. And he comes over. And <laughs> I could see and having a dad that dips skull his entire life, I've seen that that lip before. And he just happened to walk over by his locker, <laughs> put in a dip before he came over to do the interview. Did the interview with the dip? Did the interview with the dip okay. in. And I just was like, that, that was pretty cool. So I'm going right off the bat uh, with the honey badger, Tyron Matthew. I, I just remember when he was signed to the Texans, how excited everyone was. JJ yeah. with the honeypot, so cool. with the honeypot tweets. And Drew and I pretty much high-fiving each other because yeah. we were like, so excited to get a big oh, name. Oh, so here's like the him. other story yeah. with Tyron Matthew that goes with that. So that was a, I think it was a, thir- I think it was a Thursday or Friday. And well, I think it was a Friday. because I was, I was getting out of here. It was like 3.30, 3.45. And I literally got down Merworth. And Mark calls me. He's like, where are you? And I was like, I'm coming back. Because I knew at that point, like, something I was something. happening. Something was happening. He goes, we might be signing a honey badger. And I was like, we just <laughs> finished. We just finished recording the entire show. So we have somewhere on this computer, we have the an unaired Texans all access for a we have an Friday. Unaired Tyra Matthew signing with the Texans entire oh. hour show that we never aired. Because it wasn't because official. It didn't become official until oh. two hours after the show. Oh no. But we came back and we did that show. We were glad to have him anyway. So uh, so there we go. So Jonathan Joseph, Sean Cody, Tyron Matthew, DP, second round. I, didn't, I, I, I only got to spend a year with him, and it was probably his um, least popular year in Houston. But, I, I, you know, when I look back at Texans history, and we, we unveiled the top 100 moments in franchise history last year, and I did get to know him in, in 2013, I, I, and I had a chance to sit down and do a deep slant with him. I think the Matt Schaub 2007 trade with Atlanta has got to be one of the, the best trades in franchise history, just yep. because of what he was able to do with Gary Kubiak and things weren't working out with David Carr. And, you know, you look at the numbers that, that Schaub put up in those early years. I feel like if he was healthy now, and I mean, he, he would be, he, he could fit in pretty much any offense yep. that, you know, Absolutely. like the, that, that, that Kubiakian offense is sort of spread throughout the league. No doubt. You know, he, he's done some great, the fact that he's still out there yeah, as a backup, actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk like he's out of the league because he's actually still in the league. Yeah. Uh, but the trade with Atlanta, I went back and I looked up. So second round picks in 2007 and 2008, and you get your starter yeah. for 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, so almost seven years. Yeah, six and a half, seven I years, I mean, yeah. that panned out pretty well, especially now that we know how hard it is to get quarterbacks and what, oh, yeah. you, what you have to give up in order to get your, your, your star quarterback. So, um, I, and, he, and he was a great guy off the field. I mean, I think that, you know, we talked about, we talked about a lot of different things. He hit a lady with a golf ball <laughs> in one of his golf tournaments. And I remember that came up in one of my interviews. And he was just, he was he was so apologetic. He did, he said, yeah. I did go and check with her, make sure she was okay. 
and he genuinely still felt bad about it like years later. So that's that's good. All right, Matt Schaub starts yeah. off the second round. Drew, well, my uh, dream scenario rolls on because I get to pick Antonio Smith. I was gonna Ooh. take Antonio. <laughs> I was gonna take Antonio. It was it was a close second round, but that's he was. A- also a 2009 my, signing. He, he played really well. One of my well. favorite interviews. Played yeah. really well uh, for the Texans. Made a Pro Bowl. He, you know, whether it was opposite J.J. Watt or opposite Mario Williams, helped add, add pressure, put pressure on the passer, but just a real character. The ninja. He explained how he became a ninja. He <laughs> learned it on the internet. Nin- ninja school. Yeah. He, he would wear a cowboy hat to games yeah. to and from sometimes. So he was just a lot of fun to be around. He was with us in 2013 on the radio. At the depo- uh, dearly departed Houston, Houston Texans, Texans Grill, grill. Yeah. on Tuesday nights, and that was about the only guy you'd really want uh, on a Tuesday yeah. night during that miserable during two and wreckage of a football he, season. Yeah. He was so funny, and I think Mark and Drew had had a chance to get to know what was Antonio Smith. I hadn't. That was my yeah. first year. He's awesome. He signed here in 2009 originally. Yeah. He signed, and I started in 2013, so it was my first experience doing a Tuesday night player show. Antonio Smith was the first player that I got to do that with, and I was, you can ask Drew, I was always in tears laughing so hard. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he, we just, t- we went every, we talked about him. What was he, what did he do at, uh, was it not steak and shake? No, Waffle he was, House. He was a cook at the Waffle House. He was a cook House, at the Waffle House. He was like 15. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, had a, he had a ranch with horses, so I just casually asked him what the name of his horse was, and he said, that's not suitable for radio. And I'm oh, like, God. oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, God. What, what, what could you possibly have named your horse? And during the break, he, he whispered it in my ear, and I just about died laughing. Oh, and God. So if you ever meet me and you want to know, I'll tell you what it is. But oh. he was uh, with his predictions. He was also Tonstradamus. That's right. He gave lots of great predictions. It was fun when he came back, too, for that second Go yeah, that was cool. I was super because I got a chance. Yeah. I got a chance at that point, and I, I, a little bit. I, I remember his very first practice. I've told a story in 2009. His very first practice, I was like, "Oh my God, they're going to be issues." He and Bill Kolar nose to nose, and he is losing it. We just signed him to a big contract, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're nose. I'm like, I looked at my buddy Lance, like, "Oh, this could be bad," and he ended up being fantastic. Yep, he was absolutely fantastic. Came from the Cardinals uh, after playing a Super Bowl, and he was a he was so good. And another guy that played in a Super Bowl before he came here, he should eventually go to the Hall of Fame. And he was one of my favorites down on the sidelines because he Darn it. would stand in front of the net and then we would just talk about the situation going on during the game. He was my favorite. He's from my neck of the woods out in um, and he's from East Bernard. I'm from Richmond Rosenberg. I'm surprised Drew I didn't am taking, pick him. I was way I thought list, yeah. I just really like you're surprised I didn't take Antonio. Yeah. I knew he was going Cody. When he took Antonio Smith, I was like, I better take Leckler. I was now. about to I was <laughs> about to take Leckler I'm not if you getting, were. I'm not getting Leckler in the you know, third, third it's, round. It's I'm taking Shane that, Leckler. It's funny you say that sideline stuff because you're down there all 20 games, including yeah. the preseason. I'm just down there for the four preseason doing yeah. TV stuff. But after I interviewed, I'm not going to say who the player was. After I interviewed a player, I think it was two years ago in one of the, the in-game segments, we walk away and he's he's right there and he kind of sidles up next to me and he's got his helmet on. He just said his out of the side of his mouth. He's like. Did he say anything intelligible? <laughs> it was just great to hear. You know, he's he was just always. We went know, to breaking. we went to Oakland, and I think it was four, it was twenty fourteen. We went to Oakland, yeah. And I was just starting first to kind of back. get to know him a little bit. It was his first trip back, and so I started. I asked him just about punting in Oakland. He went into this ten minute diatribe about punting in every stadium in the AFC. Oh. It was amazing. He would talk about at night in this corner, hey, in this corner, in this stadium, it does this. I was like, oh my God. He like he had it down to a science. And I was like, that's 
it blew me away. And so he became that guy on the sidelines. Like he would come over and go, hey, how many timeouts we got? Hey, what, 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 what's replay say? Hey, what are we doing? Hey, we just throw it there. Like he, he was into the game and would talk to him. It was really, it was cool to get to know him. Shane Luckler was a, was a special dude. Okay, third round. Yep. You know, we're kind of running out of time. So we can either do two fast or one. We'll go, we'll just finish Shoot. on this third round. All okay. Right, third round pick. So this deep. is it. This is my last this pick. This is it. Uh, I, I, I was debating between two players that were here around the same time. I think I'm going to go Wade Smith oh, in 2010. Uh, just because the fact that, you know, we've really gotten to know him. I feel like I've gotten to know him more since retirement than when yeah. he was here because he was sort of banged up that 2013 year. Um, in 2014, he was actually, he was here. I got to know him, but um, he's just so smart and he just knows the game so well. Hell of and a I, good player for the Texans. And too, I feel yeah. like, yeah, when you, when, when your offensive line isn't doing so well, which was the case the last few years, you really miss guys like mm-hmm. that, that are stalwarts in the middle. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go Wade Smith. I love good. hearing him on the radio. He's been on the radio uh, more and more these days. So uh, I'm going to go Wade Smith. That's very good. Drew. Third round. Oh, man. This is tough, but um, I'm going to go with uh, – well, I would go with Cecil basically because mm. of what – it's kind of like the same, along the same lines as Wade. Since he's retired, we've gotten to know him better, mm-hmm. and I just I enjoy having him in, enjoy talking with him, so it's been fun. Honorable mention, though, Seth Payne. Dude, I haven't picked yet. Joel Dreesen. He, I, Drew always does this. Daniel Manning. He, he always does this. Chris Myers, Kevin he just, Walter. He takes everybody's picks. <laughs> He just he just puts his stamp on. He it. just took my final two picks. Don't unwrap Quiet. everybody's gifts, as Mark Mark Vandermeer says. I just did. He unwraps everybody's gifts. Johnny, I was going to pick I was going to pick Seth Payne and Pander a little you, bit because I'm on with no, him next him. week. Pick you him. can still pick. Can him. Pick him. I, I said he was honorable mention. I couldn't get him in. So. Yeah, I, I get Seth. I get Seth. He always and Drew I can tell Seth that story. You should I, make Drew go last. I know I should. You should always make him. He's not. He always does this. Like those are the two guys I'm thinking of: are Seth Payne and Joel Dreesen. I'm like, <laughs> I'm always Seth next week in the morning because Sean's on his honeymoon, uh, even though he's not going to Italy. <laughs> you didn't want to uh, do David Anderson. Well, David. Oh yeah, he was drafted. He was uh, he was drafted here, yeah, so, so I, I couldn't pick David. Anderson. He would have he would have been my first pick. So pretty good. Jonathan Joseph, Matt Shaw, Wade Smith, Radipi, Sean Cody, Antonio Smith, and Cecil Short, and no undrafted for Drew because uh, he didn't play the game well. And for me, <laughs> Tyron Matthew, Shane Leckler. And, of course, Sports Radio 610's star Ivy Leaguer, <laughs> Seth Payne. Nice job, gang. Job. Appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, Johnny. That was definitely fun, but daggum Drew stealing my picks, man. And, yes, I will be on with Seth next week, 6 to 10 in the morning. Sean's on his honeymoon, so I'm looking forward to that. So I can tell Seth, obviously, the story that I drafted him. Okay, we get back. Lots of things happening throughout the league. Let's hit a few of them as we go around the NFL on Texas All Access next. We got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris. Hopefully, you appreciated that Wednesday night draft, your favorite non-drafted Houston Texan. We hit on nine of them. Drew tried to throw in like three or four. Uh, I I really like Joel Dreesen. That was another one uh, that I would have I would have thought about for sure. Joel is one of my favorites. He will always be one of my favorites. I love it when he comes back for Alumni Weekend to see him and his family and he used to bring his, at the time, newborn baby to our radio shows when he used to do them with us, with me and Sean Pendergast, and had a chance to meet that young man who's now 9, maybe 10. It's amazing uh, how time has flown. But uh, those are some of ours. I'm sure you can, uh, you've can. you got your own. Hey, hit me up at Jair's Football if you want to shoot me a few uh, of the names that you had. All right, let's go around the NFL. 
and hit on a few cop topics that are top of mind right now for your Houston Texans, in particular free agency, and one free agent in particular I know a lot of people in this town have asked me about, they've asked each other about, there's been talk on sports radio, and that's Chris Harris Jr. in Rappaport NFL Network said there are a few teams interested in Chris Harris and that he's going to get paid. Here's what he had to say. And note, there's one team missing that a lot of people have thought would be in this mix. Chris Harris is going to have a real and legitimate market. Colleague James Palmer mentioned the Cowboys as a possibility. They say a likely goodbye to Byron Jones. The Raiders are in the market. There's going to be several teams, uh, the Jets possibly, several teams looking for corners. And it's not a really deep corner market. So Chris Harris is going to get paid. Of course, the name you did not hear there, the Houston Texans. And I don't think it's a surprise. A couple of things. Number one, Chris Harris is 31. And that last pit, that last little pitch right there for me in Rappaport, he's going to get paid. And I just have a hard time paying a 31, 32-year-old corner a lot of money that he's going to get from some teams. Look. The Cowboys, I don't even know where the Cowboys are going to get that green. Now, obviously, they're going to save not having to pay Byron Jones if they don't have to pay Byron Jones, but they still got to pay Dak. What are they going to do with that? So, I don't know. It's hard to kind of figure out where he's going to go. I, I think Chris Harris Jr. ends up back with the Broncos in some way, some shape, some form with some reconfigured contract. But there's there's a market. You heard the teams. You didn't hear the Texans in there. That's not too much of a surprise. Now, the last couple days, Mark and I have been talking about what's going on in Jacksonville. A.J. Boye traded yesterday for a fourth rounder. I had some people that texted me afterwards like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why, why couldn't we got A.J. back there? A.J. didn't play extremely well in 2019. He didn't play well at all. Uh, so I was not surprised. Now, was it a one-year blip? Uh, maybe. But he's 29. Broncos gave up a fourth. They're going to take on two non-guaranteed years in a contract. Probably a pretty good move for the Broncos. But the Jaguars making some moves. And the thought is there may be more. Yannick Ngakwe, more likely not going back. There's been some talk, some rumors about Clayus Campbell and Brandon Linder, two key figures on the offensive and defensive line. But what about Nick Foles? Well, Mike Garofalo put a little bit more context to what's going on with Nick Foles and the Jaguars because we had heard, oh, they're shopping him. And Mike said, not exactly. Uh, people have already called the Jaguars, from my understanding. And really, the question here, and the one that I really want to clarify for some folks, is that the Jaguars are not shopping Nick Foles. So, yeah, if they come with the right compensation, I believe that there is a strong possibility that we could see Nick Foles moved in the coming weeks. The fact that teams are calling down to Jacksonville to investigate the Nick Foles situation is it's very, very intriguing to me because you know what his contractual situation is. You know exactly what that is. Now, I go back to 2018, 2017, 2017. Now, it's not allowed in the NFL to buy a draft pick. It's not allowed. It's not allowed in CBA. At the time, I remember... Uh, bringing that up in, in Rick when Brock Osweiler was traded to the Cleveland Browns because that's the way it appeared was that the Browns basically by taking on Brock's contract essentially paid for the Texans' second rounder because the Texans were sending Brock and a second rounder, so the Browns were taking on, and they could at the time, they could take on that salary cap burden. 
So they essentially bought a second rounder. In essence. It's not allowed technically, but in essence. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a team thinking the same way with Nick Foles' contract as the Browns did with Brock Osweiler's contract. So I'm not totally surprised that there is some action on this. But all that Jacksonville's probably going to have to move Foles and a draft pick, and some team will do the exact same thing that the Browns did a few years ago in getting that second rounder from the Texans, essentially paying Nick Foles, basically paying the Jaguars to take Nick Foles off their hands, and in turn, they get a draft pick. That's what that feels like. That's what it feels like. Now, Nick Foles, much better player than Brock Osweiler. Much better player. But I don't know that there is a team sitting out there that needs a quarterback going, we think Nick is our starting quarterback answer. Now, I could be wrong. I could, I could absolutely be wrong. But if he wasn't going to start in Jacksonville, I'm not sure where he could start around the league with all the quarterbacks that could potentially be out there. Now, I present this to you. Would you rather have Nick Foles or would you have, rather have Jameis Winston? Something to think about. Now, in Indianapolis, there's been a lot of talk about whether you'd want Phillip Rivers or Tom Brady over Jacoby Brissett. Well, one prominent Indianapolis Colt says, no, I want Jacoby Brissett. Here's Darius Leonard talking about what the Colt signal caller Jacoby Brissett brings to that organization. No, I believe in Jacoby, and Jacoby is a is a pretty good quarterback, and he showed that um, early in the season when he had everyone healthy. You know what I mean? You can look at any quarterback. If your receivers go down, I mean, of course your your numbers will go down. But when he had everybody, I mean, he went five and two. Uh, you can look at any other quarterback. Like I say, for Tom Brady, for instance, this year he didn't he didn't have the Gronk, he didn't have the big time receivers this year, so his numbers went down. So I mean, a lot of people don't give him enough credit to what type of quarterback he really is. I mean, everybody sees the numbers that he put up in the end season, but they don't see what numbers he did with the receivers that he did. And I, I don't feel like that the NFL and any people outside of the NFL don't give him enough respect. Now, listening to that last part reminded me of something. I was racking my brain for it, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, on Tuesday of last week when we were at the Combine, I listened to Colts GM Chris Bowd up at the podium. And there was at one point where he sort of interjected in between questions and said, look, I think there's sort of a misnomer out there about Jacoby. This guy, he's a good quarterback. We need to see more, but this guy's done some good things. And then he went on to say about the injuries that they suffered, the injury he suffered. So I don't know if the Colts are fully on board with everybody else's plan that they need a new quarterback. No, maybe. Maybe that's just the missive from the Colts to say, hey, look, Jacoby's done some good things. We're not going to bash him, but we are going to look for a a player to compete for that particular spot. The way it sounds, just listening to Darius, listening to Ballard, is that they will look for a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback that's going to push Jacoby, and then when it's time, that quarterback steps in, away you go. I could be wrong, but that just seems to have that feel. Now, could it be Phillip Rivers? Step right in? Sure. But I just don't know. Considering how they talked about Jacoby, Maybe that's the way they go. Keep him Brissett, draft a rookie, Brissett starts, rookie takes over, away you go. Maybe that's the way they go about it. But interesting stuff going on, of course, in Indianapolis. And over the next couple of weeks, as the 2019 league year ends and 2020 begins, oh, it's going to be exciting. There's no question about that. Appreciate you guys listening. We will see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.